Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Gods and Lies, Episode 2 Andy. One of the few silver linings to being just about broke was that I was developing a better appreciation for the truly priceless pleasures in life. Sunsets, a child's laughter, the dumbfounded look on Iris's face. Sister? Being a son of the sea mother means I share genes with a lot of sea folk, I said. Although Tillamon's the only one who gives me the time of day. What can I say? I have a weakness for chaos. Tillamon's voice rippled with fond amusement. She rose up out of her sacred pool as gracefully as a supermodel stepping out of a limousine. Her human guise stood at about eight feet tall, with silvery hair bound in a loose updo that offset the graceful arch in her neck. Bracelets of coral and amethyst jingled at her wrists, and she wore a flowing green tunic over a pair of fitted, practical gray leggings. She projected an air of calm, detached inevitability. I hope for both your sakes I didn't reschedule my meeting with the chairman of the Sea Life Preservation Foundation just to exchange familial pleasantries. Shall we get to the point? Iris took a deep breath to recover herself and bowed respectfully from the waist. The proper way to greet a powerful goddess who wasn't one's patron. My name is Iris Tharo, and I serve Themia, huntress of... I know what you are here for. The goddess's tone was brisk, but not unkind. I'm a very busy deity, so when my little brother contacted me, I thought it would save time to give the answers now, instead of waiting for the media to catch up. Yes, Estros is fine. Unfortunately, I have no idea where he is. How can you be sure he's all right if you don't know where he is? Iris asked. I winced. She was using her Justix voice. It sounded way too loud in the small, echoing cavern. Tillamon sighed. We've been married longer than most mortals can even contemplate. When one represents both tangible and intangible qualities, as we do, the boundaries between us, emotional, physical, mental, become blurred. Quite simply, if he was in pain, I would know it. Because the parts of him that are part of me would also hurt. If you don't know where, 
Can you guess as to why he left? That's easy enough. Estros despises awkwardness and confrontation. He feels it ties him down. Nothing more awkward than a murder, I quipped. He's probably flown up north to lasso thunderheads and annoy meteorologists. He'll whistle back as soon as the Fuhrer dies down. I don't know, sis. I fished a cucumber slice out of my water and popped it into my mouth. This case might cause a little too much Fuhrer, even for him. Did you know that Estros had chosen a favored? Iris pressed. Of course. That doesn't bother you? He's had hundreds of favored over the years. Thousands, even. Estros falls in love all the time, Telamon said, with weathered indulgence. He's the wind. He's always racing or adventuring or flirting or fixing something. It's exciting and terribly attractive, even after all these years. It's nothing to be concerned about. Disbelief fractured across Iris's face. Maybe you should be concerned. A god disappearing right after his favorite is butchered in the most sacred heart of his temple looks mighty suspicious. I tensed. Damn it, Iris. This is a goddess you're talking to, not one of her priestesses. Water splashed over the edge of the pool, and the glass in my hand overflowed, spilling cucumber slices onto the floor. In front of me, my sister stretched upward until her hair almost brushed the ceiling, until she towered over Iris, her eyes as black as jet. Suspicious. Are you implying that my husband, the Tamer of Winds, beloved of the Sky Mother, defeater of the Wind Clouds, is a suspect in this tawdry little scandal? Her voice emerged with detached calm as icy water splashed across the cavern floor and soaked into my socks. I rushed forward, putting myself between them. That's why we're here, to get at the truth from its source. The truth. Telemann's voice thrummed painfully in my ears. The truth is that someone defiled my husband's temple and somehow got away with it. That's what you should be investigating. Telemann, you know me, I pleaded. I lowered my voice and extended my sea sense until it mingled with hers. It felt a bit like a guppy trying to keep pace with a whale. This isn't me screwing around trying to get Mom's attention. This is serious. Telemon backed off, shrinking back down to a manageable size and straightening her hair, as if she was embarrassed by her display of emotion. Not that I blamed her. When gods caused scandals, they lost worshippers and worshippers were key to a god's power and status. This case, it's weird, I said. I'm not going to lie. And it's going to hurt both humans and gods if word about it gets out before we understand it. And it's going to hurt Estros most of all. The sooner we solve this case, the sooner we can kill the story before it becomes front page news. Slowly, the goddess shrank still further until she and I were the same height. She pursed her lips and hummed a brief four-note melody, and a stream of filtered water returned to my spilled glass, an apology of sorts. Humans and their damned stories. I wouldn't be surprised if that's how Estros got into this mess. 
What do you mean? Iris asked. Tillamon fell silent, and the water level in her sacred pool rose and fell a few times before she finally replied. I think Estros was being blackmailed. How? Iris asked. By who? I added. I would venture to guess it was this Pippa woman, Tillamon said. As I said, Estros takes lovers on a whim. It's about spontaneity and pleasure. The moment things become stagnant, he throws his golden lasso into the sky and flies off on the first breeze. But his behavior completely changed after taking Pippa Marwal into his affections. He became furtive, distant, almost ashamed. The god who raced the south wind wearing the diamond giant's girdle like a hat. Ashamed. And yet he refused to cast her aside. But how? Iris balanced the question on her tongue before her better sense took over. She glanced at me. Taking the hint, I gave Telamon's hand a squeeze. Estros is worshipped for being unpredictable and flouting convention. What could possibly embarrass him enough to be worthy of blackmail? You'd be surprised, little brother. Telamon glanced at Iris out of the corner of her eye. Then she blinked and turned to give her a closer look. She crooked one finger. Justix, come here. After another awkward bow, Iris approached the goddess. Without asking, Telamon seized her chin in one hand and wrenched Iris's face this way, then that. Wonders never cease. I always wondered where the sun's fall had run off to. Recognition flared in Telamon's eyes. Recognition of what? But her tone remained calm and businesslike, as if nothing had happened. I see you're already aware that members of our kind occasionally exhibit mortal weakness. There's no point then in closing the tank if the octopus has already escaped. You're both aware of the Three Mothers' stance on relics? Freed from Telamon's grip, Iris nodded jerkily, like a puppet on a string. What I am about to tell you is only a theory, and certainly not admissible in any legal context, but perhaps, just perhaps, some of the relics listed in Estros's inventory are not, at present, in his actual possession. Well, shit. It was one thing for a god to half-heartedly look for their items of power in lip service to the Three Mothers' ruling. It was another thing entirely to lie to the Pantheon in order to keep a too powerful piece on the game board. We questioned Estros's priesthood, Iris said. They said nothing was missing. One odd-looking carving or urn can be made to look very much like any other, or so I've heard. And if someone were to, in theory, find out about this missing relic and get to it before he did, would that be enough of a threat to hold over Estrus's head? I asked. Theoretically, it's certainly possible, Tillamon said. Estros has been chastised by the three in the past for this type of carelessness. If the three mothers were to find out about this, the ramifications would be significantly more serious. I glanced over at Iris. I saw her posture stiffen, her hand trail instinctively to the blessed oak at her hip. 
I'd bet a hundred Dalma that she was thinking the same thing I was. An impatient immortal being blackmailed by a human? That sounded an awful lot like motive. But how could you pin a murder on a god? The short answer? You couldn't. But from the look on Iris's face, she was certainly going to try. And that spelled bad news for everyone. I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image, which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell, but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Iris. Standing outside the Temple of Tides after the sea goddess dismissed us, I readjusted my sunglasses and applied another layer of sunscreen. It gave me a good excuse to avoid Andy's eyes and collect my thoughts. Blackmail. Relics. Angry gods. And some poor girl sandwiched in between. I didn't like those facts. Are you alright? Andy asked. Did Tillamon hurt you? When she grabbed your face? The sun's fall. It had been a long time since I'd heard that nickname. Not long enough. It was nothing. Just brought up something from the past. So something that is definitely none of my business. What do you know? You do have investigative instincts. I sidestepped his proffered hand and unlocked the car, sliding into the driver's seat. Get in. Is this a trap? It feels like a trap. He tried the passenger door handle and gasped in mock surprise when it opened on command. As much as it pains me to admit it, you did good back there, I said. The interview with Tillamon would have gone a lot differently without your influence. 
Well, well, well. Andy strapped on his seatbelt and shot me a grin. So now you want to team up? I rolled my eyes. I already regret everything. My life is full of regrets, Andy said, shooting me one of those slow, devastating grins of his. That's how I know it's well lived. You should put that on a bumper sticker. The problem with Andy was that he was basically a walking distraction. And yes, fine, he was also distractingly hot. Literally God's given looks that he used to the absolute worst advantage. You'd think a staid, boring suit would tamp some of that down, but no. It just emphasized the powerful chest and narrow hips that came from swimming in his natural element. I opened my mouth to ask that he'd take it off, then realized a shirtless Andy in my car would probably be worse. Far worse. Something wrong? He asked. I'd remained silent too long. Had I just been staring at him this whole time? Nothing. It's nothing. He smelled like salt and warm sand, like a beach. I started the car and pulled out of the temple parking lot. It was just the suit. Or maybe my recent dry spell. It was throwing everything off balance. I knew better than anyone not to get involved with the Pantheon. Andy was merely Pantheon adjacent, but that was still too close for me. I'd spend every minute looking over my shoulder. I'm sorry for dumping you at Estros's temple, I added. I guess I'm so used to coming to you for advice on criminal activity, I forgot you've also got ties to the Pantheon. You and most of the Pantheon have that in common. Tillamon is one of the rare, wonderful exceptions. Despite the lightness of his tone, he avoided my eyes as he flicked a few dried fish scales off the lapel of his suit. I noticed the normally bright pattern of scaling on his cheekbones had dulled to grayish blue. I'm just having trouble understanding why you want in on this case so much. Are you in some kind of trouble, Andy? One side of his mouth quirked up in a lopsided smile, as infuriating as it was appealing. I'm always in some kind of trouble, but to answer your question, yes. Helping sort out a pantheonic mess would definitely win me a few more points in the mom department. I see. So, I have something you need. And as we discovered back at my sister's temple, I have something you need. An in with the pantheon. Teaming up makes perfect sense. I sighed. Andy made a good point. That had to be one of the 53 decreed signs of the apocalypse. Andy waited until we'd driven a good way from Tillamon's temple before speaking again. Well, partner, did we get the answers we wanted back there? I snorted. The answers we wanted? No. But it's not about what we want. It's about justice. And if a god committed this crime, there might not be justice at all. At least not any kind that will benefit mortals like Pippa or her family. Just like that, the air in the car turned stifling, but I couldn't turn the AC up any higher, and opening a window was useless with Estros MIA. You think it's Estros? 
Andy didn't pose it as a question. Pippa wasn't just murdered, she was transmogrified, I pointed out. Humans can't perform that kind of magic. Humans using the right relics can, Andy said. What about the relic Estros was looking for? Most of the gods designed their relics to mimic their own abilities so that their followers could act on their behalf. And you expect me to believe Pippa used a relic on herself? No. Andy slumped back against his seat, thinking. But then maybe she had an accomplice. I don't see her blackmailing a god by herself. She'd need an accomplice who wasn't living under a god's nose to haggle with relic dealers. Maybe their deal went sour. You're overcomplicating things, I said. You don't think a missing relic overcomplicates things? I opened my mouth to argue and found I didn't really have an argument. Andy was right. A human wielding a relic could do a serious amount of damage. Maybe even turn a girl into a kestrel. Heat prickled up my neck. My gut told me it was Estros. Pippa was his favored. It happened in his temple. At the very least, he should have been able to protect her. But if I wanted to do this case justice, I had to do this right. And that meant investigating every lead, if only to make the case against the real culprit that much stronger. Fine, I'll bite. Let's say Estros didn't do it. He was blackmailed into... what? Taking Pippa as his favored? What's going to happen now that she's died on his watch? Whoever's still got the dirt on him is going to be pissed, Andy said. And if they actually have this relic, they could do a lot of damage with it. I shot Andy a look out of the corner of my eye. So where do we go to find out about relics? A ripple of something passed over his face. Fear? What was he afraid of? We could try a library, a nice, quiet library, with polite, informative librarians. I was thinking with your connections, we could go straight to the source, the dealers themselves. That's not such a good idea. He shifted uncomfortably, as if everything around him was too tight. That's never stopped you before. This goes beyond the black market, Iris. I dealt strictly with the soft stuff. Drugs, bootlegs, stolen goods. I never went near anything related to relics. Those guys are flat out insane. You have to be to take that kind of risk. But you do know them. Shit. He dragged a hand over his face. A few more sparkling scales sloughed off. I know of them. Just enough to steer clear of them. Do you want to help me with this case or not? If your idea is correct and a human's going around using a relic, these guys might know about it. I can give you a few tips, but I can't go near them. And I mean can't. This wouldn't have anything to do with your sudden desire to score more points with the Sea Mother, now would it? See, that's why you're the top justice. I parked the car in front of the nearest meter and took a better look at Andy. I'd been too busy to pay close attention before, but he didn't look like he was in the greatest shape. The dried scales, the uncomfortable clothes. Are you okay, Andy? 
Let's put it this way. My mother has strongly recommended I avoid some of my old haunts. I'm not exactly hard to miss. He ran a hand through his hair, the sunlight bringing out hints of teal and turquoise in it. I took a notebook out of my satchel. If that's the way it's gotta be, can I at least get an address? What? You're going to go in alone? Is that concern in your voice? I teased. I can look after myself. That's not the issue. Relic dealing isn't a matter of life and death. Humans caught with relics don't get that luxury. They wind up spending eternity as a urinal cake in a bodega bathroom. The punishment for humans dealing in relics is even worse. These guys are cagey, they suspect everyone, and they will not hesitate to kill anyone they mistrust. This is my vocation. If I know there's a valuable lead, I need to pursue. Justice demands it. Pippa demands it. At this point, it was more than just solving her case. I needed to find out who she was, if she'd had any power at all, or if she'd only ever been a pawn between immortal players. Andy slumped against the passenger seat. Hand over the notebook. He scribbled some names down. I'm not actually giving you the names of relic dealers. These are the relic fences. Relic dealing is some of the blackest, backstabbiest shit you can get into, so they protect themselves with a whole lot of layers. This guy, Partridge, is maybe three degrees removed. Close enough to have the information you need, but far enough that you might just walk away without getting shivved with a pencil. Thank you. Don't thank me. He snapped. He handed over the notebook. Just don't get killed. And don't go in there asking to buy a relic outright. That's a tip-off. Legitimate buyers will have human shields of their own. You're just looking to see if one's on the market, or owned by someone on the market because a friend of yours is mildly interested. Knowledge isn't a crime, and your friend's name is Bill. Bill who? Just Bill. Bill is, hopefully, still the current name of one of the top relic players. I only heard about him in passing. He never goes by the same name for longer than a couple of weeks. Bill, Tom, Johnny, Harry. He's a different one all the time. No last name. Everyone who deals with his organization is expected to know it. It's like a password. And one more thing. What? Hide your oak. One whiff of Themia's incense, and they'll kill you. Andy. Are you sure you want to do this alone? I asked again. You want to come with me? The people you need to see are in Greasetown. I can't go there. The word can't tasted like ashes, because I meant it. I'd spent enough years navigating the loopholes in my mother's conditions to recognize when forbidden truly meant forbidden. And I was forbidden to return to Greasetown without my mom's say-so. That wouldn't have been so bad if I wasn't also forbidden from the sea. I was shedding scales left and right. Everything itched. My sea sense dwindled with every passing day. And the Marwal's money wouldn't last forever. All the more reason to get an edge on this case. 
or at least something I could bring back to Pippa's family that was worth even a fraction of the faith they'd put in me. I still had the phone I'd swiped from the girl's room. The Mawals would want to see what was on it before the Temple of Justice seized it as evidence. And I couldn't exactly take it out of my pocket with Iris looking over my shoulder. You go on ahead, I heard myself say as Iris drew up to the curb at 48th and Honeyside. Just be careful. I tried my usual winning smile and watched her drive off. Iris embodied independence with a capital I. She didn't need a partner or a team. She could rely entirely on herself. Demis like me didn't really get a choice on that score. You were always on the leash of your pantheonic parent. Some were just looser with their leads than others. This was why I needed a win. I could feel Mom's leash choking tighter and tighter. I finally had to see Mother's attention. But attention and consideration were two different things. I traded the stagnant outdoors for an air-conditioned bookstore and pulled out Pippa's phone. Unfortunately, the contents of her phone matched her room at the Temple of Wind, utterly scrubbed of personality. No social media apps, no games, no calls within the last three weeks to or from numbers that weren't on her list of contacts. Her contacts list was equally bare. Her thesis advisor from the university, a pizza franchise famous for delivering pies to the underworld in under 30 minutes, and someone known only as TM. I scrolled through her calls again. A lot of calls with TM, especially in the last few days. Her boyfriend? Her blackmail accomplice? I pressed the call button, but TM's number only produced a recorded message from Sonos, god of telephones, that the number had been disconnected. I didn't expect much when I tapped Pippa's photo app. I blew out a low whistle. A parade of selfies popped up on the screen, dozens of them, dating back at least three months. What kind of girl keeps her personal life off her phone? but then fills it with pictures of herself. I flickered through them one by one. She was alone in all of the shots, baring her teeth in a crooked smile at the camera. I recognized some of the places. The curved bridge in Atkinson Park, the student union building from Nexos University. But others seemed to be taken at random, on a jogging trail, at a bus stop, at her favorite pizza place, all with the same awkward forced smile. I turned at the sound of a nervous cough. Glancing behind me, I caught the bookstore cashier aiming her own phone in my direction. She turned bright red and started jabbing the screen like she was playing an especially trying game of Smite the Heathen. Ah, that old trick. I'd been loitering too long in the store, so the cashier thought she could not so subtly keep tabs on me in case I actually tried anything. That gave me an idea. I shot the spying cashier a sarcastic salute and ducked into the second-hand book section to scroll through the pictures again. Another consistency. Pippa was never in the center of her selfies. She was always off to the side, with her phone's camera lens aimed at a space just over her shoulder. So either she was spectacularly bad at taking selfies, or Pippa Mawal was trying to keep tabs on a troublemaker of her own. Too bad she never seemed to catch her stalker in the act. After all that, I was still left with one dead girl and 20-plus photos of suspicious puddles. Wait. 
the photo from the student union building. The sun was shining, creating a lens flare when it reflected off a puddle on the sidewalk behind Pippa. I could see the gleam of sweat on the girl's blurry forehead in the shot. On a bright, sunny day, where did a single puddle come from? The photo from the bus stop was taken in spring. Just past Pippa's right ear, bright pink blossoms floated on a still pool of water in a gutter. A still pool next to a storm drain. How did that work? There was no puddle in the photo of the pizza place, just a weird set of wet footprints dodging behind a corner. Water didn't act like that, but water nymphs did. Well, well, well. I considered phoning Iris, but decided against it. She was probably neck deep in Greasetown by now. Besides, if I followed up on this lead and caught a break, I'd get points with her. If it fizzled out, she never needed to know. I took a cab to the Garden of Delight. The garden was an unimaginative concrete slab of a building that squatted on a stony scrap of beach just far enough from the stench of Greasetown to pretend it was respectable. The parking lot was mostly empty. That wasn't unusual. It was coming up on 3 p.m., and the garden never really got going until at least 7. I avoided the official entrance, a set of double doors guarded by fake gold-plated palm trees, and knocked on the back door instead. Without wind, the beach was unnaturally quiet, but the ocean throbbed in my head. Gods, it was so tempting. But not today. I was forbidden. The garden's back door swung open, revealing an extremely hungover dryad. She wore a strange catsuit of orange nylon netting that snagged against her bark, and half the blossoms in her leafy hair were fake, probably to bolster the look of the real ones that were in danger of wilting. She smelled strongly of maple-flavored schnapps. Customers need to use the other entrance, genius. I'm here on business, I said. Just not yours. Is Etha in? The dryad didn't even blink. She's busy. Tell her I'm calling in a debt. She'll know who it is. A few minutes later, the dryad returned and gestured for me to follow. Inside the garden, the air vibrated with grinding techno music, interspersed with the occasional ragged cheer or the clanging of thrown change. The dryad cut through the backstage area, where we passed other elemental women in various states of solidity and undress as they stepped onto or returned from the main stage. These weren't your everyday nymphs. Lots of humans saw nymphs as these sexy maid types. A god in need of a neck massage or a sandwich with the crusts cut off could construct a shapely servant out of raw elements and a focal item in the time it would take you to spell your name. Creating nymphs was easy. Training them was harder, and not every god had the patience to discipline the constructs who turned out clumsy or curious or mouthy. The kinder gods simply unmade their disobedient creations. The pissed-off gods tossed them out on their asses to survive however they could. A lot of the stray nymphs and nexos wound up here, in the garden. And as a result, it was a hotbed for less-than-legal activity. Gods who didn't want certain shenanigans traced back to them often went to the freelancers at the garden. 
To my surprise, the dryad led me past the dressing rooms and gestured me into the manager's office. My, I drawled. You've moved up in the world. Etha sat in the boss's chair, her translucent feet propped up on the desk. She didn't so much as ripple as I walked in. Pity, I can't say the same about you, she said. She was as naked as the day the Sea Mother created her. Nymphs didn't go much for clothes. No point. The dancers wore them during their routines in a half-hearted attempt at human mystery, but Etha was off the clock. I was wondering when you'd show up here. Care to join in the act? I hear you could do with a few extra Dalma bills. No thanks. The G-string really rides up in the crotch. So, you're managing the garden now. Etha flowed to her feet in one smooth motion and pulled a bottle of whiskey and two shot glasses from under her desk. You could say that. Running numbers and writing invoices doesn't seem your style. You have no idea what my style is these days. A dark current of malice swirled through her watery form. Care for a drink? No thanks. Suit yourself. She shot one back, and I watched as the amber liquid spiraled down her throat before dissipating. What do you want? I might need a little assistance, I said. Assistance that will need to stay off the Three Mothers' books. Etha slammed down her shot glass. No can do. Sorry you wasted your time. I'm calling in your debt. My debt? Etha laughed, stripes of foam cascading down her torso. I'm the reason the Sea Mother didn't unmake you, remember? Right. We both worked that credit card scam, and while she banished me to shake my ass for mortal tourists, you got a slap on the wrist. But I ought to cherish your generosity. Yes? The nymph strode around the desk and pressed one cold, wet index finger into my chest. I could owe you three of my limbs and it wouldn't make a difference. The garden's clean now. No shit. The girls here work hard, make their own money, but every one of them dreams of getting called back to the Pantheon. Every one. We get immortal messengers sidling up to our back door every night, singing the same damn song. Do this little job for us, run this package, steal this bauble, and we'll take you back, we promise. Ethel waved her hands, taking in the ordinariness of her office. How do you think I got to be manager? Flora took the wrong job from the wrong god. Now she's a tree sculpture in Atkinson Park. This isn't about... She cut me off. It's garden policy now. My policy. No more god work. Girls who disobey get shown the door. I took out Pippa's phone and called up the photos. Have you kicked out anyone recently? Does this girl look familiar? Etha wrapped her hand in a tea towel and took the phone from me. A spurt of bubbles rushed through her. I snatched the phone back. You know who she is. It's complicated. So this whole going clean bit. I told you, we don't do God work. She shrugged. Human jobs are a different matter. 
Besides, surveillance isn't illegal. I blinked. Wait, a human wanted Pippa followed? Ethel walked back around the desk, sat down in the manager's chair. The action seemed to bolster her, return to her some of the authority she needed. This information, will this clear our debt? Officially? I nodded. You won't see me around here again, see Mother's Honor. She threaded her fingers together. Around three months ago, a girl of mine, Cicera, she took a job. Some human wanted some other human tailed, or at least that's what she told me. She didn't give me a description of the woman, and I didn't ask for one. Human authority doesn't mean a lot to us, but it's good to have plausible deniability. But she started missing a lot of work at the garden, so I looked into it, and she was running a con on me. God work? Got it in one. She thought her harmless little tail jobs would hide the hours she spent doing, well, the gods know what. Her form clouded. It's not like I don't understand. We all miss home. But based on the stuff I found on her, apart from the photos of your mark, she was going way too deep. Getting herself mixed up in the old ways. I couldn't afford to have that kind of shit brought back to poison the garden, so I kicked her out. Do you know where she is now? Etha stilled. I leaned over the desk between us. Etha, the girl in those photos is dead. I just need to find out who hired Cicera. Using the tea towel again, Etha took Pippa's phone and programmed a street number into it. This is the last address I have for her. Before I could blink, her other hand reached out and seized me by the throat, slamming me down onto the desk. I choked and spluttered as Etha's hand froze into hard, unyielding ice. Her face, meanwhile, remained as still and calm as an idyllic pond. One point to remember, Andy. There are more stray nymphs out there than you think. And whether they're part of the garden or not, we look out for each other. If something happens to Cicera that's not of her own choosing, we'll find out. In the blink of an eye, her hand melted, and I reeled back, gasping. Thanks. She smiled. Her teeth were the color of pearls. Pleasure doing business. Shall I walk you out? I tried to laugh. By the time it forced its way past the frozen parts of my throat, We'd made it out of her office, and it sounded more like a croak. Is going straight always this hard? Ah, sweetie. This is you going straight? I'm trying, I said. I want to do right by the girl, but it's blown up into a whole mess. Family feuds, blackmail, relics. I have a partner who's looking into it. We passed the dressing room where a sprite was struggling to remain corporeal enough to keep her tassels straight. She's going to check with Partridge. Etha shot out an arm. It clamped around my shoulder, ice cold. Partridge? Are you crazy? Why? He's a third-level flunky, and I'm pretty sure Adjustix can take care of herself. I caught myself. Too late. The sprite vanished with a squeak her tassels clattering to the ground, and Etha's entire form turned snow white, 
as if she'd been flash frozen. Wait, you're working with a Justix? Her face contorted with rage. This goes beyond going straight. I could kill you right here, but it wouldn't make a difference. You won't have a chance to blab to your little law priest. Not if you sent her to Partridge. I stopped. What do you mean? Etha's teeth gleamed in a sharp, sardonic smile as large, oily bubbles wobbled through her. You've been out of the game too long. Well, you were never really in it, were you? All those little cons just to piss off mommy. People like me, who don't have goddesses to look out for them, have to keep our ears to the ground just to survive. Partridge sold his superiors out to the Pantheon weeks ago. He's top dog in the relic game. And he'll sniff out your law girl a mile away. And I'd sent her there, alone. You're listening to Gods and Lies, narrated by Carrie Height and Sarah Malo Christensen. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. I wish for death upon the Nova Alliance. We all have a choice, Peter Land. One wish. You killed my family. They killed mine. I must have vengeance before the guilt tears my soul apart. For ten years, I've been making the Alliance pay. The Trade Alliance Agreement could be the next best thing for civilization. I will not rest until I have obliterated the torpedoes away. You cannot undo the past, Dolian. You can only wish something new for the future. You can't kill her! But killing him won't do you no good! Stay out of this, old man! Pete? Pete! The Nebulous Saga. Learn more at thenebulousaga.com Gods and Lies is written by Elizabeth Vale, produced by Marco Palmieri, and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music are by Amanda Rose Smith.